and welcome to another episode of Behind the Grind podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Niharika. And I'm Paige. Terry Jenke and Company is an award-winning Indigenous law firm that empowers clients to achieve success in business and innovation. The firm is 100% Indigenous owned and run, specialising in commercial law and a lead in the area of Indigenous cultural and intellectual property. They strive to offer the best service and reliability to their clients and work with Indigenous and non-Indigenous businesses, entrepreneurs, corporate and government organisations. Terry Janke is a values-driven firm and they work collaboratively with their clients and staff on matters that support and respect their values. We're lucky to have Charisma and Elizabeth with us today. There's no one better to introduce them than themselves. So we'll start with you, Charisma. Hi. Um, so as you said, Charisma Cabillo. Um, I have been now with Terry for, I think, two years at Terry Jenkins Company. I started off as a paralegal and I have been a solicitor since earlier this year, actually. But yes, I've grown up in Sydney my entire life and um, my mob, which is the Larrakia clan, um, come from Darwin. And what about you, Elizabeth? Hi, uh, my name's Elizabeth Mason. I've been a solicitor with Terry Janke and Company for about three years. But again, similar to Prisma, I worked as a paralegal for a bit before being admitted. So while I was doing my practical legal training, I was working a couple of days a week. I specialise in intellectual property and Indigenous cultural and intellectual property, which is essentially the protection of Australian First Nations cultural heritage. So things like arts, songs, stories, dances, and, you know, scientific ecological knowledge and languages as well. So we work in the law and in policy. We work with Indigenous, non-Indigenous clients in a range of sectors to develop policies and also manage contracts. But on top of that, both Charisma and I are speakers, we do presentations, and I regularly advise on intellectual property and commercial matters. Great. Well, thank you. Those introductions were awesome. We'll start off our usual way. What is your favourite coffee order? I think as it gets to like November, I pretty much move into ice latte territory. But uh, I love a strong almond flat white. But yeah, they're my two coffee orders. How about you, Charisma? I'm a big mocha fan. I've never strayed from a mocha. And, you know, in the winter, it's a hot mocha. And in the summer, it's an ice mocha. I didn't know ice mochas were a thing. I might have to get onto that. That is very cool. Our next question is, we'd love to know a song or maybe an album or an artist that you always put on to get yourself in a good mood or to get your day started off right. We'll go with you first this time, Charisma. Sure. Um, look, anything 90s for me is my go-to. <laughs> um, let's just throw in the Venga Boys. I think anyone yes. would be happy if the Venga Boys came on. So good. <laughs> How about you, Beth? I think anything by Nelly Furtado or Solange. Oh yeah. my gosh, Nelly Furtado. I have not heard about Nelly in a long back. time. And the next question is, if you could be a top athlete in any sport, which sport would you choose? I would say tennis, mostly for the glory and the outfits. I played team sports growing up. So it's, I mean, I played hockey growing up and I feel like having teammates to share it would be great, but yeah, tennis for the glory. Yeah, yeah I've, we've had tennis before and I'm like, there's two great things about it. One, the outfits and two, when you win, it's called a grand slam and there's no better title <laughs> than that for a victory. <laughs> what about you, Charisma? You know, I was actually going to say athletics purely because I suck at everything else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do play Oztag and I can say if, when we win, it's there's no better feeling. So maybe Oztag as well would be up there. Yeah, oh, very cool. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you guys for those little insights. 
going to the workplace, we'd love to know why you guys chose to work at Terry Jane Key. So maybe we'll start with you, Charisma. So I guess I I studied um, Indigenous people in international law, and I guess was this this was my first sort of introduction to this type of area. And to be honest, I actually fell into this position. I heard about Terry, and I was working at Norton Rose Fulbright initially, and I met someone else who had worked with Terry and spoke so highly of her and the work. And I thought it was a good opportunity and I thought it might be somewhere I might want to pursue in light of what I've already learnt. And it was by far the best decision I've ever made coming into this group. (laughs) Um, The work is definitely a lot different to what I was doing at Norton Rose Fulbright and I've learnt so much. What about you, Beth? Yeah, I was was drawn to the work as well because it's a real mix of commercial work, but as well as that there's policy work and, and wider kind of big picture stuff. So um, big reports and education and things like that. So the work really drew me in right away. But as well as that, Terry is a incredible woman and the workplace was, at the time I came, it was all female and female boss and mentor. Um, and one that is just so widely recognized as being an authority and, and having expertise in this area. I, I just say no. Delving into that a little bit more deeper, and Beth, you spoke about the works that you do in the IP space. So maybe you could go into a little bit more detail. And from both of you, how you knew you wanted to work in this area? Yeah, so I I studied intellectual property uh, units at university. I think it's fascinating the application of the law. I always liked the idea of IP being kind of creative adjacent. So having that understanding, I thought would be a really cool thing to have. I guess what I would want to stress is that it's really hard to know. I was really dipping my toes in a, in a range of different areas. I was working at the Aboriginal Legal Service, sussing out what criminal law was like. And I was thinking, I knew my strengths kind of lay in the commercial areas, but it wasn't like IP was a dream of mine from uni. So I think once I started the work, that's when I was like, wow, this is a space that I really can see myself in and I want to work here. That's such a cool story. How about you, Carissa? I actually never studied intellectual property law at school. Um, at the time, it wasn't really an interest, and I did select other electives because mm-hmm. I was also, again, trying to dip my toes into different things, but it wasn't IP, which that wasn't one of them. I said before I studied and used people within international law, and I guess that was sort of my opening to ICIP. I looked specifically at the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous People, and I didn't look towards more so the the IP um, related stuff. I looked at another topic, but I know my family are very much involved in the music and arts. And once I discovered Terry Duncan Company, I thought this would be a really cool area to dive into where my family are very much involved with all of this. I myself am not musically inclined or art. I'm starting to paint now, but it's really cool seeing my family and how they are very much more so involved in this than I am and that I can for them and other people as well. A funny story about Indigenous culture and intellectual property. I studied a unit at uni called, I think it was Indigenous Peoples and the Law on how far intellectual property laws in Australia are protecting the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, Languages, Traditional Knowledge, Traditional Cultural Expressions. So I, I did an essay on, you know, the intersection between IP and ICIP and I came across this amazing resource, which really helped me like kind of formulate an argument and and get a really good grade for the essay. And then when I started working at 
the firm, I was like, this tea janky sounds, I've come across Terry before. And it turns out she'd written this amazing report called Our Culture, Our Future that I had used to write my essay. So I guess that's actually a great story for our kind of next part, because you've both touched on how great Terry is as a start. And Beth, I know you said at the start the firm was um, all female. So I guess we just want to know more about what the firm culture is like. You guys obviously have a lot of respect for each other and that's definitely shown through already. But I guess like what it's like to work there. Charisma, did you want to go first? Well, I think since Terry started, the team's grown considerably. I think we've got 12. And from what Beth has said, it was all female. But now we do have three boys in the team. And in terms of the culture, since I've been there, What I really like about our team is we have our little morning catch up every Monday and how we start the day is a person will choose a song per week and we'll get up and have a boogie before we dive into. (laughs) I love Uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. That was definitely Terry's idea to do that, just to loosen up and catch up on the weekend and then dive into business. That's one thing we definitely do. Yeah. And we also try and keep the team together by having lunch catch ups here and there and we'll pick a topic and We'll sit around having lunch and we'll discuss this topic at length. In the office, it's all very friendly. We're all pretty much friends and, you know, professional at the same time. I would say the culture is like a warm hug, you know, like starting out as a new lawyer, it's so terrifying. And then you have um, mentors that are really supportive and open and want to involve you in the business of the firm as well as the work. So we're really made to feel included in kind of the strategic vision of where the firm's going. And I think that's like a, you know, small firm culture, but as well as kind of the things that Charisma spoke about, we have a um, like a firm public holiday every Friday of NAIDOC Day each year. We'll go and spend it attending NAIDOC events, which is really cool. And keeping in touch since COVID happened and we're all working remotely, it's been kind of like a priority because prior to COVID, we would be, you know, doing stuff, lunches and birthday celebrations and all of those kinds of things. So everyone's making it a priority kind of keep in contact. You've both also spoken about how you're drawn to the work at the firm. Is there anything in particular that when it comes in onto your desk or into your inbox that you're excited that you've got that and what kind of tasks you enjoy most working on? Beth, do you want to go first this time? There's a couple of things I love. One of them is uh, public speaking and presenting. I never knew that being a lawyer, you could also be a presenter and speak so much and and teach people. Also, I love to get these protocols. So I've drafted Indigenous culture and intellectual property protocols for a range of clients, museums and galleries, government, publishing, arts, universities. I love those projects where a client has kind of spotted the need for us to draft this protocol it's a chance for us to be able to design a framework that's kind of addressed to the needs of the client contracts and governance and the way that the client's business or organization works so I like those projects because element of excitement and hope that clients have when they're coming in because they're wanting to make a positive change and people are excited about doing that so that's the kind of work that I love and luckily we're getting more and more of those kinds of projects so it's really good. What about you, Charisma? I'm actually going to have to agree with Beth as well. I wasn't aware that with this job, we get to travel around Australia and even internationally, but it's more so Terry, but um, travel around Australia and I've got to travel around. I've gone to Darwin quite recently, actually, um, even Albany, Western Australia and opportunity to present on, you know, general IP and 
it's really nice seeing artists come in and we teach them things, they have questions, and they come back to us. And it feels like we're doing, you know, a really good thing for these people in the communities who aren't really sure of their rights. And I also did a presentation on bush foods, which is a very sort of new topic to sort of discuss. So the protection of bush foods, um, I did that with a colleague, Desiree. It's really nice. Like we did this and we mingled with a lot of people. We went out on country, which is something that I don't get to do very often. So it was a very personal trip for me as well, in a sense. I think it's amazing that you can be connected to your work, I think, in that way. One of our questions that we'd love to know more about is, I guess, what do you think are some of the biggest legal issues in the Indigenous space right now? Well, I guess the Western world doesn't really pick up on a lot of the traditional practices. And as we see mm. across the various sort of IP areas, so copyright, trademarks, patents, unfortunately, you know, Indigenous rights aren't protected. And what we've been trying to do is ensure that we can try and use the law that's currently in place to help our Indigenous clientele as much as we can. And unfortunately, there is there has been slow change. And I guess we're taking it day by day to address these issues and mm. work with what we have. And hopefully sooner than later, we can push for a bigger change. I think it must be so rewarding to be part of that, making those day-to-day small increments that are moving towards stronger and bigger change. That's really cool. How yeah. about you, Beth? Well, I think, I mean, the, the fact that there's no kind of sui generis law in Australia that protects intellectual property poses a lot of problems, but there's so many gaps. I think for me, what really gets me is the, is the kind of the scientific and ecological knowledge that doesn't see those kinds of levels of protection because as we see how important that knowledge becomes in true industries and, you know, in caring for the land, it, I think we can see that people being shut out and not having control and ownership over those, over those knowledges and, you know, having this kind of knowledge taken by big companies and not being able to protect it in that way. I also think that when you have kind of emerging industries or new sectors, like for example, the bush foods sector, little of the ownership of businesses are by First Nations people. And so it's like missing out on the, the benefits that come from this knowledge that has existed for thousands of years and getting, you know, cornering the market. And so I see that as a, as an issue, but you know, there's wider issues, but we're in the IP space. So those are kind of a couple, but for me personally, I see treaty as the kind of issue that can be informed by these ICIP frameworks. I think more broadly looking like, I think treaty is huge. So many of these changes have come from 20 years of Terry being in this space and pushing her work has just been so important, I think. I think one of the hard things about IP law is that it's very after the fact. A lot of the time it steps in when something has gone wrong and someone's rights have been infringed or something's been used when it shouldn't have been used. And I think with something as special and sensitive and has so much meaning to so many people like Indigenous art does or in Indigenous culture in, in its different forms. Do you think that that difference between how the law operates and what it's trying to protect, do you think that that's a unique difficulty? I think the, the real issue is, is that the nature of IP law is kind of at odds with the practice and handing down of, of culture. So mm-hmm. IP law is, it's, you know, it lasts for a short period and the idea is to 
for people to create more and, and, and work off each other's ideas, kind of like stimulate creation and invention. So it's like a, it's around that kind of economic focus, it's such a different system. The good thing is that IP can be managed through contracts. And so by setting up contracts that deal with these kinds of issues from the start, set up frameworks so that you can protect cultural knowledge from being shared before that happens, before a project starts. So everyone's like more clear on their obligations and how the how they can be stopped from doing like from sharing things because of IP or because of a contract. That I think that's what I like so much about this job is that you can um, deal with these issues up front to make sure that we don't just keep going down this same path of you know something special and has been widely shared and is now kind of damaged because of people not having an understanding of you know how culture works or how what the protocols are for dealing with um, culture and knowledge. I think that explanation was great. That was so, so handy to know. And I think it's a great insight. So thank you. My next question is a bit more on a personal level. What are some of your day-to-day challenges? Um, I guess for me personally, well, time management, (laughs) (laughs) I guess with all the work we've got, but no, um, especially when working with Indigenous clients, I just guess being um, aware and being sensitive of the work that you're dealing with and how it may affect them and the community as a whole. If the community are involved, and it generally very much is, I guess, you know, being aware of that and being sensitive to what your client needs and the wants, and I guess ensuring that you are protecting your client to the best of your ability. That might be my my personal one. How about you, Beth? Well, a couple of things. Managing large projects where there's lots of different moving parts can be kind of a real challenge because in a small firm, you do have that autonomy, but you, ha- you have to manage your own matters and you have that client contact, kind of direct accountability to your client. I mean, it, it's, it's a challenge, but it is, I enjoy it as well, having that autonomy. But it means that I've had, you know, I'm not, uh, as a person, generally, I wasn't really used to having to, like, directly manage someone's expectations. You have to set boundaries or or kind of you know like um, be clear in your communication about what they can and can't expect from you and for someone I think maybe you know particularly women who are so used to just saying yes to everything maybe I don't know if that's just me but you say no um, you're some sort of terrible person or you can't do your job properly you know but learning to to be um, yeah direct and clear about uh, what people can expect from you. On the complete opposite spectrum of that what do you think might be your greatest success in the role or at the firm? Um, well, that's actually a hard one. I'm going to have to say the public speaking events just because I initially was not so good at public speaking. I didn't get enough practice in, but I guess I've sort of amazed myself, you know, after doing it for a while, you sort of gain that confidence. But um, I really like the side of talking one-on-one about the company itself, what we can do and having that one-on-one time with those who do attend your presentation or the conference or whatever it is, I guess that's probably been my biggest achievement. I think anyone that can public speak, that is a massive achievement in itself because it can be a very daunting experience. What about you, Beth? It's funny because uh, every kind of little achievement feel, feels so special when you're first starting out. So even just the smallest of things can be so huge. Yeah, I recently had a client, they're a kind of a, a small Aboriginal organisation, I'm really used to working with government and if you know anything about government contracts, it's really hard to, it's often hard to negotiate changes around IP and we 
I mean, I, part of it came down to the relationship um, that the, the particular client had, but we were able to negotiate some changes around IP and the client was so happy saying that they'd never seen a contract be able to be changed like that before. And so seeing that kind of, yeah, like first time change was really, really exciting. But honestly, there's so many, so many moments where I've just been high from even just small things. You finish a presentation and you get good feedback. It's just so, it's such a great feeling. So there's a lot of things. And I think if, yeah, as you start out as a new lawyer, you'll definitely feel that way too. (laughs) (laughs) No, that sounds amazing. And obviously your clients would have been very happy with that as well. So it was a win on both sides there. The client good client feedback is like one of the best feelings in the world. <laughs> Are there any skills that you think might be important for someone that might want to work in the, the same space that you guys are, whether that's sort of Indigenous law, I guess a little more broadly, but specifically in the IP space as well? So, I mean, I think any lawyer needs to have really excellent written and communication skills, the ability to problem solve and then draft things. I think particularly if your clients, you know, they're just regular people. So you need to be able to take difficult or complex legal concepts and write or speak about them in a way that's actually accessible for your client. So I think that that's a good skill to have and you get better at it with practice. Anyone wanting to work in this kind of field, Um, Indigenous cultural intellectual property, some level of cultural competency and and that kind of being able to be sensitive, really being able to like listen and take it in and understand where your clients are coming from. And I think for me, like a bit of a, um, at times a bit of a, like a, I don't know, loony lefty is what they're called. Um, I, I found that not too crazy but there were times, you know, when we were doing consultation workshops and I remember Terry saying to me, oh, I some of the language in that workshop, you know, might've been a bit confronting and I didn't, yeah, at the time I was like, oh no, I didn't think of it that way. But as like a, you know, white person working in this space, you realize that some forums just aren't for you and there's some things that you just can't do and that you won't understand. So being able to know what you can and can't do as well is important. Gosh, I think Beth just nailed that completely on the head, (laughs) really. Um, no, I guess, you know, all of the stuff kind of maybe skills that lawyers should have. So, you know, as again, strong communication skills and in this position, um, as best say, cultural competency and just be understanding and mindful of people's situations as well. Of course, time management, even some creativity really in our sort of position and definitely stress management. <laughs> that's another one up there. <laughs> I think that's something everyone could use a bit of. Oh, well, that's so great. And that kind of like brings us to the end of our sort of formal questions. So thank you guys so much. And then the last one we always just add on the end is if you could step into our shoes as hosts, is there anything that you wish we would have asked you or any little extra bits of advice or comments you want to make? I reckon that my advice would be a couple of things. The first one is to just not be so stressed about getting out of uni and finding a job. You know, I kind of like you get into this mindset of it's kind of competitive, I guess. Like you put this pressure on yourself. And now that I'm out of uni and working, I think to myself, oh my God, what I would give to have a set of uni holidays again. Like, you know, don't be in such a rush to finish and and make the most of the time you have. Yeah. Um, You know, I wish I didn't didn't go on exchange. I could have done something like that. You know, there's Mm. opportunities. There that you can only really have when at that time so take them 
And then I would also say for people that aren't kind of going down that route of, you know, formal clerkship, that kind of, um, you know, into those big firms, it's really all about working all of the contacts that you could possibly have, you know. So I, I'm from WA originally and when I came to Sydney, I had um, two possible contacts um, and worked both of them and that was how I ended up with this job. You know, I, I got it through a contact of a contact. So, yeah, off, you know, just it's, it's about people and knowing people. So those are kind of two bits of advice that I'll give I actually might add as well, um, I thought it was really good for me. Um, I had the opportunity to work at Nottingham Fulbright as a paralegal. I worked at the Department of Environment Planning as well, and I also worked in-house at Qantas. So I think oh, it, wow. it's good not to just find yourself stuck in one thing and maybe if you are interested in pursuing um, or taking a look at other positions, I, def- I would say definitely do so and don't just get stuck in the one position. Thank you guys both so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we love that you. this will be such a special episode, I think, for people to listen to as you guys do have really unique insights into the IP space and, you know, the Indigenous law in that area too, which I think a lot of us would be keen to find out more of. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Thank I, you. I had fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Grind. We're thrilled to be able to bring you Season 2, which is out every Tuesday and Thursday. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. These links are in your show notes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you in our next one where we'll hear from Johnson, Witter and Slattery, which is a national commercial law firm located all across Australia. Mm-hmm.